one of the characteristics of Jesus' ministry is that he challenged the interest level of people. He especially challenged the interest level of people who who seemed to want help. They would claim that they wanted help or they would say that they would want to follow him. And in doing so, Jesus usually would say something back. You, you never have Jesus when somebody says, oh, help me. He just goes, okay. Or, hey, we want to follow you. Okay. There, there's always so much more that is going on that Jesus does. For example, you have like in Matthew 8 and back in verse 19 where we saw a scribe saying that he would follow Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus doesn't say, well, that sounds great. I'm so glad that you've decided to follow me. Instead, you have Jesus challenging that person and saying, you understand I have nowhere to sleep. You understand that animals are better off in their sleeping arrangements than my sleeping arrangements. Foxes have holes. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. There was a challenge in the interaction that was given. Similarly, in that paragraph, you had a disciple who said he would follow after he had buried his father. And Jesus doesn't go, well, at least you'll follow me, so I'm glad for that, and you know, we'll see you when you're good and ready. Jesus, again, challenges that, that he would need to let the dead bury the dead, and that he would need to go ahead and come and follow him. And this also happened when Jesus encountered people who were crying out for mercy. In chapter 9 of Matthew, in verse 27, you have two blind men who are following behind Jesus, crying out for mercy. And Jesus ignores them. He doesn't address them. He just keeps going and ends up going into the house. And after going into the house, the two blind men then go ahead and follow. And then Jesus says, do you believe in what I can do for you? Do you believe? And then those men were ultimately healed. Later in Matthew's gospel in chapter 20, In verse 30, you see the same thing, two blind men who were walking behind Jesus crying out for mercy, and Jesus again does not immediately respond. And then finally, after enough crying out, Jesus turns and says, what do you want me to do for you? And so what I want you to see is that it is not uncommon for Jesus to check people's desire. Jesus is not a carnival act by which people just come to him and he just starts healing them. He is always checking faith. He is always checking desire. He will ask questions that ultimately point to, do you believe in who I am and do you understand what I can do for you? And that is very important to the scene that was just read for us here in Matthew chapter 15. Here in Matthew 15, we are at a spot from verses 21 through 39 that give people all kinds of problems. They don't like what Jesus does here. They are unhappy with his responses. And what I want to do by just beginning this way is to help you see that what Jesus is about to do in his interactions with this woman is not completely out of character with how he dealt with a lot of people when they came to him asking for a variety of things. 
With that in mind, I want you to notice the scene before us. It says in verse 21 of Matthew 15 that Jesus now is leaving the area of Galilee and he is going to Tyre and Sidon. He is going outside of Galilee. This is setting up some great irony because you have uh, in the last paragraph, the Pharisees traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee only for the express purpose of challenging Jesus not to believe him. Now Jesus goes out of the Galilee region, out of the area where the people of Israel would have been, and he's now in Gentile territory. He is in Tyre and Sidon. And to underscore this situation, I want you to notice what the woman is called. We are told there that in verse 22 that she is a Canaanite woman from this region. Now that's an unusual term in the New Testament. You don't encounter that in the New Testament. You read that all the time in the Old Testament about going into the land of Canaan. But to read of someone as a Canaanite woman here is somewhat surprising. It would conjure into their minds that these are the outsiders. In fact, you might remember that the land of Canaan was occupied by the people of Israel because God was judging Canaan for its idolatry and for its wickedness. If you speak of a Canaanite, you are speaking of somebody who is an enemy of God's people, who is outside the covenant. And that is all the more underscored by saying Tyre and Sidon. You are picturing someone way outside. Canaanite woman of Tyre and Sidon. And yet something amazing really happens here. Listen to her words. In verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Whoa, that's a whole lot of theology she has. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Okay, master, you're you're in charge. You're my master. You're the Lord. Son of David is a messianic term. She's calling him my Lord and Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the savior of the world. You're the Lord. Have mercy on me. She has an awareness that you aren't reading about in the land of Israel. This Canaanite woman who is entire and sighted is confessing Jesus as Lord and son of David. Now, notice she has a request. Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And now you're going to read three responses of Jesus here. These are three responses that people don't like. But I'd like to pull back the layers of this for a moment to see what Jesus is doing. You will notice in verse 23, we were told that Jesus says nothing. Imagine this woman, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is oppressed. And we're told here that he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say anything to her whatsoever. Now, I hope that you will notice something fascinating about what is taking place. You'll notice that that's not the end of the scene. In fact, you get a sense of what is going on when you read the, in verse 23. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. Why? 
Why are the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, you need to send her away? You know, the end of verse 23 says, because she's not stopping and crying this out. This isn't a, hey, Jesus, have, have mercy on it. You know, I've got this daughter. No, he, he's traveling through Tyre and Sidon. The disciples are with him. And I want you to imagine this Canaanite woman who doesn't just cry it out once, but is apparently crying out this phrase so incessantly that it's driving the disciples mad. They are now going to Jesus and saying, would you send her away because she won't stop saying, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. My daughter has a need because she's oppressed. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Just imagine as you're going through the towns and she keeps crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. And finally the disciples are like, would you send her away? Would you send her off? And I want you to see the persistence of the Canaanite woman here. And I want you to notice that Jesus gives an answer to his disciples. As the disciples say, I want you to do something for her. Why don't you just send her away? You're letting her to go on and on and on and on and on. Well, there's a reason. Notice verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is an interesting answer he gives. My mission is for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, by the way, I hope something might be triggering in your mind for a moment with that answer that I want you to think about. If his answer is, I'm only sent for the lost sheep of Israel, why are you entire and sighted? Something more is going on here. If you really are Israel only, then why are you outside of Israel? Something more is happening in this scene. And so he's going through Tyre and Sidon. And here is a woman who is crying out, have mercy, like many others have done before. And Jesus is following a similar reaction and testing to see, is she going to be turned away? And what you are noticing, even though he says these words in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. I'm only here to help the lost sheep of Israel and she doesn't care. She doesn't go, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Got it. Understand. Doesn't stop her in the slightest. Instead, she continues and comes to him and kneels there right before him and says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And now notice Jesus' answer to this. Verse 26. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, how everybody gets really upset about this. But I want you to see that what Jesus is doing is challenging her just like he does to everybody else who cries out, have mercy on me or help me. He always turns and challenges that. When you have two blind men coming up to Jesus saying, have mercy, and his question is, what do you want me to do for you? 
you, you, I mean, I'm a smart aleck person. I'd be like, what do you think? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Obviously, Jesus is doing something with those questions. And Jesus is doing something here by saying this. And ultimately, what I want you to see is Jesus is trying to see, do, do you understand who I am? Are, are you coming to me just for a healing? Or do you understand who I really am and what I've come to do? Because even though she's saying the words, lots of people would say those words and then turn around and still not get it. And then they would say, yeah, let me follow you later. You know, oh, yeah, Lord, um, let me, I'll follow you wherever you go. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're saying all the right words. But do you really believe what those words mean? And this is challenging this because look at her answer. Verse 27, yes, Lord. She doesn't argue. She agrees. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She understands something that I'm not sure how many in Israel understood. Her knowledge and her faith is staggering here at this moment. She knows that the blessings of the Messiah were not restricted to Israel. He's saying, Israel only, Israel only. I've only come for the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to give the the food on the master's table to the dogs. And she's saying, I understand that the Messiah was coming to bless Israel, but here's what I also understand. I also understand that the blessing that was to come to Israel through the Messiah was to be for the whole world. And that's why Jesus in verse 29 goes, great is your faith. You get something. You have a perception and an awareness that people don't understand. She's saying, yeah, I know you've come to Israel, but I also know in you coming for Israel, that was supposed to bless the world. It's like she knows Genesis 12 through Abraham. All the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. She gets it. And she's saying, you're supposed to be blessing the world. So here I am. In fact, it's like she knows Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Here's the prophecy of Isaiah. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. That's too easy. Too easy for the work of the Messiah to do. Too easy for the Christ. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It's like she knew that. She's saying that. She's saying, yeah, I know you're for Israel, but that's too small of a thing. Shouldn't we also be participating in the blessings too? I want some too. That's what you're supposed to do. And Jesus says, you understand something. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And the end of verse 28, it says, and her daughter was healed instantly. 
I want you to see something amazing about the faith that she is expressing that Jesus is drawing out of her. She says, you're the Lord. You're the son of David. Have mercy on us because your work is supposed to bless everyone, not just Israel. And so you see in her this persistence. Nothing would satisfy her. And notice the imagery, Lord, even the crumbs from you would be enough. Anything that you would be willing to knock off the table will satisfy me, would be sufficient for me. Let me enjoy whatever it is you have come to offer. I will take it. She understands who Jesus is. She understands who she is and she understands her need. Now, I want to hold those three ideas in your mind because as we have noticed in our study of Matthew, Jesus is connecting accounts together. Jesus. Matthew is a connecting Jesus accounts together for a reason. He is putting these accounts so that we will see these threads carry through. And these next two paragraphs relate off of this to see, do you know your need? Do you know who you are? And do you know who Jesus is? Watch what happens next now in verse 29. We're told here in verse 29 that Jesus goes on from there and he says there that he is walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and, and sat down there. I want you to savor the scene that is happening. It's not as evident, but it is here. And I'll point it out to you that Jesus has not gone back into Galilee or Israel area, that we, he's still working the Gentile territory. Mark makes that clearer in describing that he is in the area of Decapolis. But what we see these people doing will underscore that. But I want you to savor the scene. Jesus is walking beside the sea. He goes up on the mountain and sat down there, and it says that great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and put them at his feet and he healed them. I want you to notice that Jesus does not say, well, I've only come for the lost sheep of Israel. Or, well, don't you know that I'm not here to help any Gentiles whatsoever? Not at all. Great crowds bringing all kinds of afflictions. And Jesus is healing them just like everyone else. In fact, you'll notice in verse 31 that it says that when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy and the lame walking and the blind seeing that they wondered. But notice what it says that they are proclaiming. They glorified the God of Israel. And you wouldn't use that phrase if these were of Israelite background. These are Gentiles who are saying... The God of Israel is the true Lord. Our gods are nothing. We are glorifying the true and living God. The God of Israel is the one. And look at what he's able to do. He is able to heal all kinds of diseases. They are aware and they understand who Jesus is. 
And so as they glorify God, the next scene that's put before you is now verse 32. Here is this crowd and Jesus calls his disciples in verse 32 and says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. I want you to, again, think about the scene and the picture here. It is so easy to want to go, well, we just saw this one chapter ago. This was in chapter 14, literally one chapter earlier, the feeding of the 5,000. It's all, did, did, did Matthew like run out of material and went, you know, we need another feeding moment here just to kind of fill up the pages. I want to be the, the thickest gospel there is. And so let's throw another story in. I want you to think about the, the picture that's before us is that we have now a, 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 a Gentile crowd. And I want you to notice that verse 32 says, they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I can't send them away now because they're going to faint on the way. Hey boy, you ain't kidding. Three days. And he says, They've stayed with me this whole time. I want you to visualize that. You don't have this crowd saying, um, you know, well, you know, I, it, it's getting late. I need to find somewhere to sleep. You know, we're getting hungry. We need some dinner. Jesus, you're going to be here tomorrow. We'll come back tomorrow. I want you to see the intensity that these people have. This crowd's not leaving. We are going on day three of being in the presence of, of him. And, you know, they're not saying, well, you know, the kids are getting kind of cranky. Maybe we should go home. Well, you know, I've got work tomorrow. You know, school's kind of early. Nobody's saying that. Everybody's saying, we're not leaving. It's been three straight days and they are just sitting out there. And Jesus says, this is amazing. And I want you to hear the words of verse 32. I have compassion on the crowd. That's exactly what happened in the prior chapter when he was doing this in Israel. When it was the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus sees them and says, I have compassion on them. And now when the crowd is a bunch of Gentiles, I have compassion on them too. So verse 33, where are we going to get enough? bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd. Now this is always, I don't have time time for this, but you got to love the disciples, right? And you got to love Jesus because again, I'm a sarcastic guy. I'd be like, don't you remember what we, you know. <laughs> Refresh your memory, guys. We had 5,000. We only have 4,000 this time. We can do this. You know, this is not a problem. You have great compassion from Jesus. Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Verse 35, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave it to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children 
I want us to notice the, the scene that's given for us is if you remember the message back in chapter 14, and that was just a few weeks ago, where we saw the feeding of the 5,000, we learned three key truths. Jesus provides, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus gives abundantly more than you need. And I want you to notice something that happens here. When we have now the feeding of the 4,000, notice all of the same features are here. My crowd is three days hungry. They are so hungry they will faint if I send them away. And what does Jesus do? The food provides, verse 37, they were satisfied and there's abundantly left over gathering up all the fragments to fill up all the baskets again. What's Jesus doing? Not only does Jesus have equal compassion, Jesus has equal provision and equal satisfaction and equal abundance for all people. Some people are like, you know, oh, why the speeding of the 4,000? Because it's really important. It's important to see that no one is excluded from this offer. Everyone can enjoy the compassion of our God. And everyone can have satisfaction in him and enjoy that provision and be abundantly cared for. And this is the big message that's happening here. No one is excluded. No one's excluded from the table. No one is excluded from the offer. No one can say, well, you don't know my background or how I was raised or what my culture is or what my upbringing is or any of those things. He has compassion on everyone and no one is excluded. But I want you to think about how this scene all began. He's going to challenge your faith. To see if you understand who he is and what he can do. The woman does not say, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And Jesus goes, okay. And sometimes I think we want God to be that way. Oh, Lord, I have a problem. Do something. Well, he didn't do something, so I guess he's not going to do anything. I guess he doesn't care. I guess he's not going to provide. I guess he's not going to satisfy. I guess he's not interested. I guess he's not concerned. I guess he doesn't care. But instead, you will notice that Jesus is pictured as one who gives compassion, provision, satisfaction, and abundantly more than you could possibly need for life. But he's going to challenge our faith. He's going to challenge our cry to see if we understand who he really is and what he's come to do. I'm framing it this way for you. Don't stop crying out to him. Don't stop crying out to him. We need to be like these people that we keep reading about in the Gospels. Who are so persistent. And they keep saying, Lord, you have to do something. Lord, help me. Lord, show mercy. Don't walk away. Because we don't get the answer we're looking for immediately. Now, let me frame this. 
in three ways for our lesson this morning. What Jesus is doing here with this woman, the way that she addresses her, as well as everybody that has been coming to Jesus, is ultimately a challenge that Jesus wants to check us as we come to him. First check, do we understand our need? And I want you to be real and honest on this one. The persistence that we are reading about in the Gospels come out of desperation. And one of the things that you see Jesus concerned about, not only in the gospel accounts, but you see it even in the writings to the seven churches of Asia, is that his people will become so comfortable in this life that they will not see their real need. They're not going to get it. They don't see what they really need. The church of Laodicea is a classic example where they say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I do not need anything. They said, we are perfectly content. We're doing just fine. And Jesus wrote in that letter and said, you don't see that you are poor, wretched, blind, naked, and pitiable. You think you're fine because you don't see your need. You're comfortable in this world. And friends, that is one of our greatest dangers. It is so easy to be comfortable here. We have our couches. We have our homes. We have our beds. We have our stuff. We have our jobs. We have our cars. We have our things. And so what do I really need? And we don't have this kind of desperation for Jesus. He's kind of that, oh, wait, I got a problem. Hey, Jesus, help me out. Okay, problem gone. Back to ignoring him and living my life, doing whatever I want to do. And I want us to get a sense of the picture that is being presented to us. The people who come to the table and find the healing and the satisfaction and the provision and the joy that they are looking for are a people who see their real needs. They see their problems. They see their emptiness. They see their sin. They see their guilt. They're able to identify the real need. And that's why Jesus challenges with those questions. And I believe it's why Jesus challenges us today in our prayer life and in our trials as we kind of twist in the wind and, you know, go, okay, well, do you really understand what you need or are you just looking for a band-aid to make things comfortable again? And I was really comfortable in life, you know, I was enjoying everything and it was pleasant. God, make it comfortable again so I can go back to ignoring you and doing what I want to do. We, we function that way. Do we really sense the need of we need Jesus? Because our deepest need can only be met by him. Or is it just get things back so I can, you know, be back on the couch relaxing again. So I can enjoy the comforts and cares of this world. This woman is representing a persistence that came out of a desperation. Number two, do we understand who we are? 
I think one of the reasons why people get really upset about this term is go, well, how dare you describe this as throwing it to the dogs? And the problem is we don't see who we are. We don't understand our position before God. You will notice when Jesus says that in verse 27, she does not say, how dare you? How how dare you say something like that about me? Did you notice she agrees? Yes. Friends, do we understand that we are unworthy to come to the table? Do we have a deep awareness of that? I think sometimes we just think we just kick down the door and walk on in and, you know, hey, you know, I'm here. There's a reason that Jesus begins his beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount that the people who are in the kingdom, the people who have a seat at the table are those who are poor in spirit. They understand who they are. They understand I don't deserve to come to the table at all. I don't deserve a seat. I don't deserve a place. Friends, even the Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst sinner there is. Even the Apostle Paul said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. When we read that and go, Paul, you are amazing. What are you talking about? This kind of self-image and self-speak is really unhealthy. You shouldn't talk to yourself like that. No, that's the right frame of mind. Do we understand who we are? We need to see ourselves who would just desire for the crumbs to come from the table. I love that picture, actually, when you appreciate it. Now, I don't have a dog. I hope to never have a dog. (laughs) I am not an animal person by any means. But I've been in enough homes that have had dogs. And I've watched what those dogs do at mealtime. And that dog is either in one of two spots. If they're allowed to be under the table, then they're under the table. If they're not allowed to be under the table, they are close by and they have laser focus. And they are watching for anything that comes off that table. And if you want to watch a dog go fast, watch something come off that table. That's the imagery here that she's presenting. That's the heart that she has. I'm unworthy to come to the table, but I want anything that comes off that table. Just flick something off that table and I'm taking it. Just give me a crumb and I'm all over that. You will make me the happiest if you can just give me any piece. And just watching with that intent desire. That's what she's saying. This is not an ugly scene. This is an amazing scene of faith. As she grasps who she is and understands her need and what Jesus is ultimately able to do. And that's the final picture of understanding who Jesus is. Because, friends, if we understand who Jesus is, we're not leaving. We are not leaving him. 
It doesn't matter if he keeps walking and we keep saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. We're not going to leave. We don't care if he says, I've only come to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm throwing myself on the ground. and saying, Lord, help me. And when he says, you know, you understand that I'm only supposed to be doing this because I'm the master and I'm not giving the food to the dog. I'm going to go, that's fine. Just give me a crumb and I will be happy. Just whatever it is, because I'm not leaving you. That's what she's saying, because she understands who Jesus is. It doesn't matter if we've been three days without food. We're not leaving him like this crowd. It doesn't matter how hard life gets. We're not leaving him. It doesn't matter what we're going to lose. We're not leaving him. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable the situation is. We are not leaving him because we understand that only he provides, only he satisfies, and only he can give us abundantly what we need. We're not leaving because we understand our need, we understand who we are, and we understand who he is. Now here's the good news. When the Canaanite woman understood her need and understood who she was and understood who Jesus was, did Jesus give her the crumbs? Verse 29. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Friends, when you understand your need and you understand who you are and you understand who he is, he doesn't just give you a crumb. He says, have a seat at the table. Can you believe it? He says, you can have a seat at the table. And that's why the next scene is given to us there. Compassion, provision, satisfaction. Have a seat at the table. You can have all that you desire in Christ. She was not turned away. If you come to Jesus looking for the crumbs because you know who you are, you know that you are a mess, that you are unworthy, that you are full of sin, that you do not belong, and you come to Jesus knowing who he is, he's not a circus act, he's not a genie in the bottle, but he is the Lord and Savior, the Christ who has come to rescue you and save you, you're not going to find crumbs, you are going to find a seat at the table. If you will see your need and understand your position before him and never leave him, because you know he's the Lord and Savior you need, Come to the table and come to him in humility. Come to him open-handed, seeing your need.
come to him knowing what he can give you. And you'll find yourself invited to sit at the table. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, O Lord, who are we that you would make such a generous offer to us? Lord, we are the dogs that are unworthy to be anywhere near the table. We are the ones who are full of sin. We are the ones who have turned our back on you so many times. We are the ones who have been far more concerned about our comforts and cares than for your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you that you have this compassion for us. Thank you for looking down upon us. and Providing what we need. Satisfying our desires and providing for us abundantly. Lord, we're unworthy of the crumbs. And we thank you for the seat at the table. And Lord, we are so grateful. We are grateful for everything that you do for us. Forgive us for when we forget who we are. Forgive us for when we don't see our true needs. And forgive us for how often we forget who you are and how you have brought us in, not as unworthy servants, but as your children. Thank you for this seat. And we pray, Lord, that we would live in a way that shows you honor and gratitude for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I had 30 more minutes, but I don't, so don't worry. This whole scene was pictured in Israel's history. King David ascends to the throne and ought to be wiping out the descendants of Saul. And there is a lame man named Mephibosheth who would be considered worthy of execution because he is a descendant of Saul. And instead what David does is he invites Mephibosheth into his palace and says, you can sit here at the table with me and you can eat all my provisions and all my fine foods until the day you die. Here's God all the way back in the days of David saying, you know what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to invite you to the table and you can belong as a child of God and enjoy the rich feastings of our great King. Would you turn to him today, turn away from sin, follow him with all of your heart, confirming him to be the Lord and savior that you will obey. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, do it today to enter into this glorious kingdom. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?